unless we go around and love people tangibly that are in our lives, we can't fool ourselves into thinking that we love God because we can get in our minds and create realities that love God, but we aren't tangibly obeying the scriptures. Welcome to The Green Room, a space where leaders from the Austin Stone invite college students to have vulnerable conversations about relevant topics. What's up, guys? My name's MJ, and in today's episode, Tyler and I sat down with our friend and pastor at the Austin Stone, Halim Sa. This episode is full of Halim Sa reminding you why he's the pastor of teaching and theology. And Halim has been—I've been doing ministry with Halim for 11, 12 years, and one of the things I have always admired about him is he lives what he preaches, and he's been as influential in my life as anybody when it comes to thinking around— how to love people, how to love the church, how to think theologically about the church. And so in this episode, as someone who's been a pastor for, I don't know, I've been a pastor now for 11 years, my relationship with the church is complicated because I have been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by fellow leaders. And as a pastor, I've hurt people unintentionally, or I've sinned against people and had to process through my own repentance with them. And so when it comes to dealing with hurt in the church. For me, this this episode is really personal because I'm thinking of names and faces of real people and not just theory of what could be. And so mm-hmm. I think that episode is really helpful for me even to process out loud things I've never even maybe said out loud before because they've been in my heart for so long. And so I hope this episode is as beneficial to the listeners as it was even for me to go through with you. Yeah. And this is something that's so important for me because of my story that you'll hear more about in this episode. There are different levels of church hurt that we talk about here, from being offended by another member of the church to even pastoral abuse. We also talk about ways to help friends who have been hurt by the church. We, as the Austin Stone, want to be the place where God heals church hurt for you. We hope that you enjoy today's episode. All right, today on the Green Room Podcast, we have Halim, the man, the myth, the legend. How are you doing? Good. How are you guys? Thanks for having me today. My man. Glad yes, you're here. Yeah. Um, Halim, so many people don't know you personally, and we know only these things about you, that you are the, the pastor of teaching and theology for the Austin Stone, but man, I'd love to hear, and I'm sure our listeners would love to hear a little bit about your story and how you came to know Jesus. Yeah, um, well, I was born in Seoul, Korea, came over to the States when I was about eight years old. And um, in Korea, I went to a private Christian school, Um, not because my parents were believers, but they just wanted to send me to the best education available at the time. And so it was kind of there. I learned just kind of the basics of the Bible and the gospel and things like that. I don't know at what point in my life I started believing. It probably wasn't until college where I truly was trying to walk with Jesus with everything that I had. Um, My mentality throughout 
adolescence was always, I'll be a good Christian one day. I'll mm-hmm. be a good deacon one day, you know, in my 50s. But until then, I'll just live the <laughs> way that I want, you know. But in college at, at A&M, being a part of organizations like Bucks and being a part of the church there and different Bible studies, it was the first time I saw guys my age, 18, 19, 20, like passionately in love with Jesus and walking after him. And so, yeah, that was that's what God used to really bring me to himself. Come on. Yeah. We'll, we'll forgive you for going to a and Yeah. <laughs> uh, but at this point of being a year and a half on staff for me, I've seen that our church is kind of run by Aggies, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Kind of founded well, by Aggies, take, too. Take it easy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they contribute yeah, a lot. Yeah, they contribute a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, Halem, man, this has been a really hard season for all of us, but for you specifically, man, you're coming off of a stroke mm-hmm. and just a hard time with health. Man, how are you doing? Doing a lot better. You know, God's just been really kind and gracious to take me through the season that I would have obviously never chosen for myself, you Mm -hmm. know, but it's something that he had in mind for me to go through. I think, you know, I shared yesterday in my sermon, the primary thing that I've been learning through this is how absolutely dependent I am on Jesus, how in need of him I am every moment. Like, for instance, you know, I lost part of my vision. And for 40-plus years of my life, every day I woke up and my eyes worked, mm. you know. And the um, Bible talks about how we did not see fit to acknowledge him or give him thanks. So here was this incredible thing that God was always providing my for me for my whole life. And how many days of those times when... I had vision that I wake up saying, this is incredible. Thank you, Jesus, you know. But now that I lost it and then so much of it has been restored, it's something that I'm daily thankful for, you Mm. know. And so I think he's just been teaching me not just with vision but with everything, life, breath, and everything, you know, that he provides. And we have to sometimes have things like this in our lives where it's kindly taken away so that we recognize that it's from him and we acknowledge him and we give him thanks. And so, yeah, God's been using it for my good for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, I'm I'm so thankful and I know our church is thankful. College students ask about you all the time. Yeah. They ask, man, like, how's Pastor Hallam doing? Yeah. Is there any way that we can be praying for him? Um, thank you for being yeah, here, man. Absolutely. Um, how long have you been a pastor here at the Austin Stone? Uh, I've been at the Stone for about 15 years. 15 years. Yeah. And the Stone is what? How many years old? 18? Something 19? like that. 18, yeah, 19? Like that, yeah. yeah. Wow. So you've seen nearly every iteration of the Austin Stone, nearly yeah. every iteration. Yeah. Man, you've seen those mountaintop moments and you've seen uh, also all the valleys mm-hmm. uh, of the Austin Stone. So for you specifically, as your role as a pastor, what's been one of the hardest moments for you since being here? I think all the hardest moments are tied up with people, people leaving, you know, for good reasons and bad, you know, mm. people leaving because they're called somewhere else or, you know, like the topic we're going to be talking about today, people leaving because they're hurt, people leaving because not for good or for bad, it's just the church changed. You know, Mm. it went from a very small, intimate kind of a setting of church planting to this huge mega church, you know, and so people leave for different reasons like that, you know, sending out missionaries and them either 
getting hurt, even being killed, you know, just just mm. all sorts of things like that where the relationship change for good or for bad reasons. Yeah. Know? So so as a leader in a church, I haven't been leading as long as you have, but um, in my short time of leading in the church, I've heard stories from people who have found a church maybe confusing, hopeless, or even damaging to them, and people who have experienced church hurt. Um, and it sounds like that's something that maybe you've experienced too. A lot of people even coming from the Austin Zone or deciding to leave the Austin Zone or have left the Austin Zone, saying that they've been hurt by the church. And I think that's the question I really have for us today. Man, it was not hard for me to look up statistics about this. Barnes says that four out of 10 people who profess as Christians in America but don't attend church, four out of 10 of those people have been hurt by churches. And then Barna also says in 2019 that 64% of young adults in America with a Christian background have dropped out of church at some point during their 20s. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of college students, everyone really, is asking, man, what do we do with our church hurt? Where do we go from there? We have to be able to differentiate between levels of hurt. And one of the things that's important in this conversation, especially for anyone listening, there are layers and complexities to what it means to be hurt by the church. And there are very, very, very egregious ones that have a certain kind of response. And there's very, very surface level ones that require a different response. The, the thing that's important for everyone to understand is hurt always needs to be dealt with no matter how deep it goes. Mm-hmm. I think first to first is kind of distinguishing and getting a sense of how serious the quote-unquote hurt is. Mm-hmm. Is it an actual hurt or have they been victimized by a crime? Yeah. You know. And so I think as a pastor, as a shepherd, you're always in the mode of trying to protect God's people, protect mm-hmm. his sheep. And so you're trying to discern what's really happening. It's one thing to try to deal with somebody's feelings getting hurt because they feel misheard. They feel like um, they can't find the good missional community to fit in or just whatever those kind of things. And it's a whole nother thing for a crime to have been committed against them. And I think those kind of things we deal with by using the common grace of of law enforcement. There's laws in place. There's governing authorities that God has given us in in common grace to be able to deal with those things appropriately. So I want us to at least acknowledge that first Mm -hmm. to say that the bulk of what we're going to be talking about is probably the non-crime version of being hurt, hurting each other through relationship dynamics that we have simply because we're people. But on top of that, like you're saying, acknowledging that there is a special level of hurt that can happen because because a pastor said something, Mm -hmm. you know, or a pastor did something or a pastor didn't do something, you know. And so, I mean, some of the texts to acknowledge is really the bulk of the New Testament is written to address problems within the church, right? And so, so God knew when he created this thing called the church that there's going to be some problems Mm -hmm. because it's going to be made up of people, you know? Well, and to your point, just uh, real quick, and Mm -hmm. I think it's important for people to know if you're in the church, you're going to get hurt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it shouldn't be... I'm in a church where I've never gotten hurt. Yeah. That's actually an impossibility because yeah. if yeah. you if that's true, you don't know anybody yeah. well. Like if you know people well, you're going to be hurt by them 
and you read the New Testament, like you said, and it's clear that this is a kind of common thing that's happening. And in some ways, the Holy Spirit's given to his people. When you read like Galatians 5, how often the Holy Spirit's given to you for interpersonal relationships, right? It's it's not just worship services. It's how I interact with other human, other Christians in the church. And so I think what you said, Holland, is important because I don't want us, especially for college students, if you come in with an idealized version of the church where I should never have any offense here, then you're actually probably going to have a hard time having any relationships with anybody yeah. who's going to help you grow. And yeah. so I think I don't want to normalize dysfunction, yeah. but I do want to normalize the experience of that person said that and I'm hurting right now. But again, you read the New Testament and it happens all the time. Yeah, I mean, the part of the expectation is good in a sense because the expectation that community within within God's church ought to be different that's a good expectation. Right. That's a right expectation. But the expectation that you're not going to be wronged or hurt, you're putting something on God's church that we will one day be in glory, yep. but not yet, right? And so the reality is because we live in a world, and again, the world is filled with people, you're going to be hurt. You're going to get hurt no matter what community you're going to be a part of, including God's church. But the difference that should exist within God's church is not that it's not filled with sinners, but it's filled with people who are forgiven. And because it's filled with people who are forgiven, it ought to be filled with people who are willing to forgive. And so it's not that you won't be sinned against, but these things ought to be reconciled and healing should come at least at a rate that's so much greater than you would find anywhere else in the world. And so part of the expectation that, no, the church ought to be different is good, mm -hmm. but when the expectation is the church as we know it now is a place where I will never be hurt is a over-realized expectation. Man, that that is so helpful and so good because I do think that is the nature of what it means to be a Christian is to admit failure and receive grace and mercy. And that was a piece for even my children have been showing me my own dysfunction in that where I don't want to say I'm sorry because I want to be right. And when you believe in the cross of Jesus Christ, it's hard to think that would be the methodology he would use. Is It's more about being transparent, vulnerable, honest, admitting wrong, even if you did 1% of the wrong, right? But I do think that that's a helpful sort of grid to both have right expectations that it's aspirational and actual so I can make sense of the two. That's good, y'all. And it's so great that y'all pointed to the New Testament because something that I've said before, even before I truly started following Jesus, uh, one of the things that um, I hear my friends saying all the time is, I love Jesus, but not the church. I love Jesus, mm. but not the church. Uh, the church is too messy. The church gossips. The church hurts. And man, what do we do with this? Like, I love Jesus, but not the church. Because I be feeling that way sometimes too, if I'm honest. Yeah, I mean, that's a really great question. And I understand the sentiment. But if you really think about it, just even in human perspective, Angela's my wife, love her like crazy. We've been married for almost 18 years now. I know that she's not sinless. You know, I know that there's lots of sin in her heart, yet she's my wife. And if somebody comes up to me and says, hey, Halim, we love you. You're a great pastor. You're a great friend. You're whatever, right? We love you. 
But your wife, I just can't handle her. I can't handle how broken she is. I can't handle how messy she is. She's really hurt us with the things that she said. So we want to be friends with you, but we just want to be done with Angela. That relationship is going to go nowhere. Mm-hmm. You get me and my wife or you don't get me, you know? And so Jesus has so bound himself up with his pride that is the church. We know the text where Saul's going around and persecuting the church and Jesus stops him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? Mm-hmm. So he has so bound himself up with his church that sinning against his bride is sinning against him. And in that sense, leaving his bride is leaving him. And so it is a biblical inconsistency. I think it's biblical rebellion, I think it's fair to say, to seek some sort of a relationship with Jesus and God, but not his church. I think what helps people to say out loud is a organization, a church, usually is not the thing that hurts you. It's individuals in the church that hurt you. And oftentimes when we say that, we say, I love Jesus and not the church, what we really mean is this specific person who's associated with the church hurt me and let me down. And I understand a little bit of it, but when we hide in the sort of corporate identity of the church and say the church did this and the church did that, you actually set yourself up to never have healing because the way you're going to have healing is by dealing with a specific issue, right? Like if your body is sick, it doesn't help to just do general sort of antibiotics. I need something specifically for the thing that's ailing me. And oftentimes I think people get stuck and never get out of that season of life because they never actually deal with the specific thing that happened to them. And there's actual text to help you process through how to do that. Um, And I, I mean, honestly, as a pastor of a young congregation of people, we're and college students are a part of this, is you have to have the one-on-one conversation and deal with it the way Jesus says to in Matthew 18, to actually have that conversation. When you think about the most basic commands that God gives us for relationships, you know, two of them being confess your sins to one another, forgiving one another, right? And so the fact that he gives us these commands, we have to realize that the only way for us to obey those commands is within the context of relationship. You can't do that um, solo by yourself, and you can't keep those commands in a relationship where I never wrong you, you never wrong me. Therefore, I never have to forgive you, you never have to forgive me. If you just look at the strongest relationships that you do have with whoever it is, Are those relationships strong because you never wronged them and they never wronged you and you never forgave them so they never forgave you? Is that your definition of a strong relationship, you know? Or are the strongest, most meaningful relationships in your life are people that have wronged you? You've wronged them and yet they've forgiven you and Mm -hmm. you've forgiven them and therefore there's a commitment to each other that creates a safety that says, I could genuinely pour myself into you and you into me, knowing that even when at times I wrong you, I'm going to be met with forgiveness. And the strength of the relationship grows, and that's the context, that's the strength and the commitment that God desires within his church. It's like with, you know, anybody with kids know, you want your children to be just the best of friends. I mean, like, that, it doesn't, I don't know if there's a greater happiness for a parent than to see your kids just loving each other and playing with each other and, you know. But as hard as it is when you see a child hurting their sibling, you know, in that moment, 
it's the most amazing thing in the world when when you see them turn around and forgive each other and mm -hmm. go beyond the hurt. And so he is creating for himself a bride. He's leading his children in such a way where it's not this false sense of strong relationship, you know, false sense of community that we try to put together by never wronging each other, but it's, it's real love, mm -hmm. you know. You're in a context where you're going to be wronged, but because of because of people that are committed to each other, are committed to obeying the word of the scriptures and confessing sin to one another and at the same time forgiving one another, a greater love, a greater community is built because of it. Back to the, uh, the Shanda episode was the best way to start this whole podcast because it goes back to relationships are messy. Hmm. And you have to be able to go into those one-on-one -on -one conversations and be direct, but also be humble and be vulnerable and forgive and love one another. But I think for college students, they're in a cool place in their lives. I'm telling you, there are 40-year-olds who wish they started handling their conflict earlier because I'm telling you, you can't have life without conflict. It's going to happen. Better for it to be a lot of small little fires to put out than a raging inferno of the whole forest. And there's almost no way to stop it. That's how wisdom works. That's how God teaches his people. I think this, I mean, this line probably is from Halem, I think that I've said a billion times, but God is going to teach his kids. And it's either going to be by wisdom or by discipline, but God is going to teach his kids. And for college students, the reason we love college students is we want to plead with you, learn by wisdom. Like yeah. trust it's in its sweetness of telling you what will happen if you follow him. Don't make this word become severe where you have to deal with the consequences of not listening to him because you'll learn if you can learn how to do conflict now it's going to help every relationship you ever have whether it's professional church if you get married like whatever it is that sort of pattern of behavior because you watch i mean again with our kids they're learning how to say i forgive you and it's the most forced thing ever like mm -hmm. i forgive you like yeah. they they don't but they're learning muscles like they're learning how to have those conversations mm -hmm. And I'm so much better now at having conflict with people than I was when I was 19. But it's because I've been trying to actively do it because I, I want to have deep relationships with people. But I can't have it if I don't know how to work through the hurt that comes with pursuing that. Mm. Man, I think about this conversation. I think of the many people in Harlem. You touched on this earlier. But I think about the many people who – come to our church or have been at our church are like, man, this is really big. And it's been kind of hard for me to enter into community. And I'm sure many people who are listening to this right now might be thinking about this. But like you guys said, there are like 59 one another scriptures yeah. in the New Testament. So, so we see that life is supposed to be and meant to be lived with people. Like you can't obey the, the commands of Jesus without being in community, but then there's a side of community that includes the local church. I think something that a lot of people are just asking, a lot of people are wanting to know, like, why does it have to be a local church? Why, why is that necessary for growth and sustainability as a believer? It seems to just be easier to just kind of hop out of that and maybe do a parachurch ministry and just kind of go with the flow with that, or maybe uh, do some other ministry that's not tied to a Sunday service throughout the week for adults. So, so yeah, kind of help me understand, man, what is local church like? What role does it have to play in my life? Yeah, I mean, I'm reminded of the text that where it talks about how can you claim to love God that you do not see if you 
don't love your brother that you do see. And so I think what that text is saying is unless we go around and love people tangibly that are in our lives, we can't fool ourselves into thinking that we love God because we can get in our minds and create realities that love God, but we aren't tangibly obeying the scriptures. And so I think we could get in our minds again thinking in theory that we love God's church, that we are part of God's people. But unless we're tangibly a part of a local body of believers that is God's people in real life, that we don't just have in theory land a body of people, but people with real faces and real names and real stories that we're doing one another's with, that's not actually tangibly loving God and his people. The church of God is, you know, the Greek word ekklesia, the called out people, you know, God's chosen people, the royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession. And so there's a specific people in mind that Jesus came after. There's a specific people in mind that he died on the cross for. There's a specific people in mind that he has saved and is going to take all the way to glory. And that is the church. That is God's people. And God's people is the place, the community in which we're going to spur each other on to obey Jesus more. It's the place where we're going to receive the refinement and the sanctification of having to confess our sins, being held accountable for sins, forgiving one another. It's the place. It's the environment. It's the family that we're called into. We, we would all admit that apart from God's word that we're not going to make it. But where do we hear God's word? Right taught to us. It's within the church. We would all admit that by ourselves, we won't be able to make it to the end. We, we need the support of people and community. Where do we find that support and community? It's within the church, you know? And so all the ways that God is going to keep us through his grace, the place where that grace is poured out most abundantly and fully is in the context of his church. And what's interesting is when you read Acts, so you have this universal church that cuts across every tribe, tongue, and nation, mm -hmm. and yet Paul is not content with that being just a universal sort of general belonging. He sets up local churches everywhere he goes. And what's crazy for Paul is if that local church has elders installed in his brain, he can move on to the next town, next city. And so the local church is important because if you don't do local church and you just belong generally, there's no accountability. What can happen is if, is if you pick ministries that you're passionate about, and it's just a specific topic that they're covering, a specific thing that they're trying to tackle, well, you're going to have a greater probably affinity for those people because you have a common sort of passion to do, pick your nonprofit, pick your parachurch ministry. But the church, because it's localized in a city, is going to bring people from different walks of life, people you would never have hung out with normally. And that's actually over and over again. Jesus says, you see your love for other people when you love someone who's not like you. Mm -hmm. It's easy to love people who think like me, believe like me, vote like me, whatever it is. The church becomes this opportunity to go, no, how would you love someone who the only thing you may agree on is Jesus? Can you love them then? And that's what we're about for our mm -hmm. college students is what they're thinking about the local church, they're thinking people who are like me, 
And what they should be thinking about is the local church people who confess Jesus like me, and then a lot of other things are different. Mm. And so I think that's where, again, the local church is that particular manifestation of the universal church. And Paul is writing letters, like we're talking about the New Testament, he deals with specific things in that context. He takes universal principles and truth and applies them to a situation because I'm meant to figure out what it means to follow Jesus in an actual place and time. And again, it's easier to get lost in theory and talk about what the church should or should not be, but said, I love like a Philippians 4, him asking those two women who he's done ministry with, like, help them get along. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that, that's just the nature of what it means. Like, no, it's going to be specific because um, it's in this, the specificity where truth gets to actually take on, the, where the grace of God gets to be seen as powerful in a way that you wouldn't see it if it was just a general sort of— because, like, I, I, how could I love my brothers and sisters in India right now? I can pray for them. But it doesn't cost me anything. Maybe some money I could give or I could maybe go as a goer. But it's in Austin Stone where I get to really experience what the power of God looks like because I'm thinking, here's a person who just said something to me that I did not enjoy and I did not like and I didn't enjoy my time with them. What does it mean to love them in that moment in my house when I don't know, when when we don't have a normal kind of conversation, kind of pace? And I I wrote one of the articles for our blog called Awkward Groups Are Good for Your Soul. (laughs) <laughs> it means we probably don't get along that well, and I gotta I gotta go to a place of love and not just chemistry, right. and that's what's really needed for the church. Yeah, it sounds like what y'all are saying is that I need to be committed to people who are not like me in these settings, like the local church specifically. Uh, those things usually manifest in things like small groups. One of the conflicts I have to resolve a lot of times are just small group things, like mm-hmm. a lot of times. You know, they're, they're small things like I went to this group and there wasn't somebody outside to greet me. There are things that, you know, can kind of go up from there where it's like I didn't feel loved or welcomed in this group. And I see some people decide to, you know, just throw it away and stop trying after that. And what I usually have to help people understand, you know, it also depends on how long they've been at the Austin Stone and how much relational capital we have with people. But, man, we're just swimming in a consumeristic culture. It's like, I'm going to do the thing that costs less for me, that's easier for me, just so I can get what I need from this place. And so I've seen a lot of college students and people in general, this is me as well, I've seen the church as a place to just take things from instead of a place that I am there to contribute to, usually because I don't see myself as a part of the church. So when I say church hurt, like I've been hurt by the church, it's usually because of an experience that has happened to me and I separate myself from the church as the bride of Christ and saying that, hey, like that place hurt me or those people hurt me. But more and more I talk to college students, the more and more I talk to them about their particular hurts, the more I see it's them usually having a consumeristic mindset rather than seeing themselves as a part of the church. Tyler, one thing I heard you say before was that, man, nobody is really great at initiating sometimes in groups, especially when they're new at mm-hmm. starting off. Yeah. And I loved, like, the practical advice that you gave was just to, hey, be the initiator. Somebody has to do it. Uh, and once people start initiating, usually other people start warming up and mm-hmm. start initiating things. And I've seen that with my group. I've seen that in so many groups across the stone. But maybe that's just level one of church hurt. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, you know, 
I'm offended because I didn't I didn't feel welcomed and maybe maybe I was hurt because I wasn't called on maybe in my small group or you know, I feel like this church is big and I don't like that. Maybe that's like level one or yeah, even <laughs> even right. uh, less than that. But then Tyler, you talked a little bit about elders and how Paul appointed elders to yeah. oversee these churches and you know he just dipped out. Yeah. Like when you talked about elders, I, I remember my own stories of church hurt, like as early as when I was a little kid mm-hmm. um, and being a part of a small uh, black Baptist church. When when my family moved from New Orleans to Wichita Falls because of the hurricane in 05, we uh, went to this small black Baptist church. And um, after a few years of being a part of the church with my grandma, I would just remember we would we would go back home. On Sundays after a church service, you know, it would be a super hype service, and it was great. Um, man, I love the culture that the black church brings, but we had leadership specifically that, you know, they drove off in these really nice cars, they had these really nice suits. I don't think I ever saw, you know, that's not something we we really deal with uh, here at uh, the Austin Stone, <laughs> people getting on stage with suits. I, I remember from that point, I would identify every church that I would come in contact with, like from that yeah. uh, experience, and just think, like, man, churches are places where the leadership aren't honest, where they take money, where they abuse their powers. So, if the small group thing is level one, I would see this as maybe like a level two or three. Well, and, and Mitch, I think that that is the sort of crux of what we're talking about: is the leadership hurt? You know. People in the church can hurt you, obviously, but it's the—and I've had this experience. is when people God has used to teach you the Bible, people God has used to grow you up in the faith, people God has used to care for you tremendously, when that means of grace, that person who's been a means of grace, becomes a means of sin and a means of hurt, it's really disorienting, and it's hard for people to process what's going on and what's happening. And so I know I, I can speak on behalf of all the pastors at the Stone, because uh, me and Halim have had enough of these conversations to know it's one heartbreaking and sorrowful to see how leaders have, in both very egregious ways and in some unintentional ways, but it doesn't matter, have hurt people, and it's heartbreaking. And I think you know that God cares about the leaders of his church, one, because of the warning that he gives in Hebrews 13 that leaders will have to give an account for how they shepherd the flock of God. But two, one of the things that's fascinating, particularly in the prophets in the Old Testament, of all the promises God can make to his people about what he's going to do about a new covenant and giving them the spirit, one of the explicit promises he makes, he's going to give them shepherds after his own heart, particularly in Jeremiah, is he promises to give them shepherds who will teach them the scriptures and care for them according to the scriptures. And so I think, Halem, the, the categories you kind of gave of it's right and good to have higher expectations for church leaders. It's right and good. You should. But it's be- precisely because we have higher expectations for church leaders that the hurt goes so deep. I mean, your expectations affect how deep a hurt goes. If, if I don't expect this person to be that helpful to me, then if they fail me, it affects me less. When I view you in the ways that I should, the way the Bible tells me to view my leaders, then that hurt goes deeper. That is where the place where now when you're hurt by a church leader, how do you deal with it? Can you go approach them one-on-one? Because I, I know, and this has been a, a pain point for me as a pastor, I know I have hurt people and they haven't felt they could come talk to me. Hmm. And that is, I can just tell you, breaks my heart to hear that, is that there's some way that maybe I've come across or I have 
portrayed myself, that I'm not approachable. But in my heart of hearts, it's heartbreaking to know how hard it is for people to approach leaders about the ways that they've hurt them. And as someone, I've been hurt by leaders in my life, and I know that that experience of, well, maybe I should just overlook it. Maybe I shouldn't bring it up. And if a leader is genuinely a godly leader, they won't shy away from the ways that they've hurt you and want you to bring that to them. And that's where it gets really complicated because I can just tell you as someone who has unintentionally hurt people, it's a hard thing to know how to process because I did not intend for you to be hurt by this statement that I made. And I'm really sorry that I made it. And I'm sorry that it hurt you. But there are times when you've hurt people by telling them true things. And that's where I think it's good for our college students to differentiate between what's objective you've been sinned against and what is I feel like I've been hurt. Because none of us, me included, my feelings don't determine what's right and wrong. And if my feelings determine what's right and wrong, I'll never be able to have really deep relationships with anybody because my feelings are all over the place. So I think that this is an important piece to know how to how do you differentiate what's an offense you should bring up to somebody and what's an offense you should overlook. And I think with church leaders, that's especially difficult mm. because Hallem may preach something from the stage and it may offend you. And you have to go, well, how do I know what is worth sending Hallem an email and going, help me understand this? And what's me going, I should probably just process that myself with my community or my, or even just in prayer and not have, I, Colin, I'd be curious for you, like how, how would you counsel somebody who's saying there's a leader? Now, again, let, let me just caveat and say, this is not an issues of abuse. This is not an issues of like mm -hmm. egregious sin. So I, I don't want anyone to think that we're nuancing. Like if my pastor abused me, should I tell anybody? Absolutely should. Mm, yeah, Absolutely should come to us. We always, always, always want to protect the flock of God. It's more of those areas where I felt offended by you, but I don't know how to process if this is real, if this is just a, I didn't like what you said. Like what, how, how would you, a college student in particular who hears something or has an experience with a leader and they don't know how to interpret that experience with the leader. Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah, I mean, I think it's ultimately pointing to the need for every believer to be constantly rooted in God's Word because we have to be instructed and informed by God's Word to be able to discern the difference between because Jesus said there's going to be false teachers among you. Jesus said there's going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. And so when you're looking at the leaders of the church, is that a false teacher? Is that a wolf? Yeah. Or is that a pastor who still struggles with sin but yet is fighting it, you know? And so, and so the irony of the church is that in a sense it's a place where you shouldn't be wounded it should be a place where lots of healing comes and lots of protection is there. But in another sense, it should be a place where you're constantly lovingly wounded, you know, because you're constantly challenged with the scalpel of God's Word, mm -hmm. not the machete of God's mm -hmm. Word, you know, that's mm -hmm. chopping you down just with no care, but the, the scalpel in the hands of a loving surgeon that's that's cutting out the cancer, cutting out the sin in our lives. And so if God's Word is true, and if the truth of God's Word is being preached on a regular basis, in a sense, every Sunday we should be cut to the heart. Mm -hmm. Every Sunday we should walk away somewhat 
wounded and hurt mm. because it's like a mirror that shows us what we look like. I thought I was clean. I thought I was walking right. But this has been pointed out in my life. In some ways, there ought to be a kind wounding similar to a, a scalpel that cuts. But if we're talking about somebody not rightly handling God's word, right? They're actually doing damage with a scalpel. They're, they're actually using it to cut and wound in order to hurt, not in order to bring healing. That's when it's really, really important to know God's word, to look at this shepherd who God calls and says, you know, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, right? Not domineering over them, not doing it for shameful gain, but willingly, eagerly, and it says being examples to the flock, right? And so is this a person who I can look at and say, they're not perfect. They, they're still flawed. They still sin. But over and over and over again, in their shepherding, they point me to the chief shepherd, mm-hmm. you know? And if that's the case, then I would assume they would love to hear from you if there was an example of a time where you've been hurt because of something that they did or something that they said. But at the same time, giving pastors a disposition of grace and going, usually what I try to do when I'm hurt by somebody is to ask myself, is this a pattern? Is this something that they always do? Or is this... Is this just a one-off? Is this an exception? Because if it's an exception kind of a moment, chances are it could just as well be me for whatever reason. But if this is a pattern that I see in their lives over and over and over again, I think I owe it to them as a brother in Christ, being being my brother's keeper, to tell them this potential blind spot in their life. But again, having a disposition of grace, looking at the plank in my own eye first, and considering ways that I might have misunderstood and all those things first. Typically, if that's the case, it's an exception, right? But if it's a pattern, going ahead and approaching. That's such a good and helpful framework for even trying to understand what to do if I feel offended by or hurt by something that a pastor or leader has said, uh, maybe from the pulpit, maybe in passing. I, I think most of us know someone who's been deeply deeply wounded by leaders, whether it's from the pastoral level or maybe a youth director or college director or small group leader or something and where they've experienced some type of physical or sexual abuse Mm -hmm. um, from that person. I mean, a movement that is still going, that is where we're not removed from is the Me Too and Church Too movements where people are coming forward and talking about the ways that they've been abused by the church and how churches have historically tried to cover it up. So for that, for that person who has maybe been hurt by the church in that way and wants with everything to try again and love Jesus and try to be in community I'm just kind of at a loss for what to say to that person. So so to to you guys, that's kind of my question. What what would you say to that person? How would you counsel that person or what um, encouragement would you give to them? Well, I think if it's currently happening, you have to report it to whoever will hear you, you yeah. know, leadership within the church, governing authorities, like we said, 
what we know is happening is that a law that God has given in His common grace is being broken, and this is this isn't just a misconduct of a pastor. This is a a citizen who is breaking the law of the land, and so, and so there are consequences and just things associated with that that we have to follow along, and so that's one thing. I think if we're talking about if that's something that is that's part of your story, but you're part of a different church now, for instance, and so how do you, how do you in a sense be freed from that kind of hurt and experience in the past and really join yourself and go all in to this new church? And um, I think one way that I always try to process hurt that I've experienced is to ask myself, how have I been wronged? So name the sin. Whatever, whatever hurt, especially at the egregious level, that makes us want to leave the church, I think God understands that sentiment. Mm-hmm. Because if you read throughout, especially the Old Testament, this is the emotional wrestling of God's personhood, that Israel, his people, are an adulterous people who are constantly, and he uses very explicit language like whoring themselves after other gods, right? And so what what does he do with such a people? And so if we believe we have reasons for rightly leaving the church, right, God has infinitely more reasons. And not just talking about, quote, unquote, church in general, but against me specifically. There are things that I have done against God with my words, with my thoughts, with my actions. When you compare his level of holiness and my level of sinfulness, it is an egregious level, especially if you think about in light of what he has done for me in the person of Christ Jesus, that if he sent his son for me to to take upon my sin, to die on the cross for me, to save me, and if I look at that reality and experience the grace of that reality and still sin against him, Mm. that is an egregious sin against him. If anybody had the reason to leave his church, it's not me, it's God right? Hmm. And yet, what does he do? He keeps pressing in and he says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And this is the price that Jesus paid in order to save and sanctify, purify his bride until that day, right? And so, to what level did Jesus press in to say, I'm not leaving you? He went to the cross and he faced death so that one day we might be presented to him without blemish, without spot, and glory, right? And so if Jesus has in mind this church, and he's saying, this is the price I'm willing to pay for her, and if we in any way are recipients of that kind of costly payment, then how should we act in in light of that? You know, should we so easily leave God's church, or should we look at the extent to which Jesus was unwilling to leave the church, unwilling to leave me, and keep pressing in, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think there are times when you're trying to deal with just different local churches, I think there's times when we could, in humility and love, leave a local church to join with another local church. I think we might take that step too quickly. I think there are lots of opportunities where we press in and love and say, I'm going to stay, I'm going to work these relationship dynamics out. I'm gonna process the hurt, I'm going to forgive. And I think 
sometimes that reflects more what Jesus has done for his bride than us just leaving. And Holland, both you and I have had the, and it should be seen as a privilege, both of us, and I know I've gotten to walk alongside people in our church who've gone through what you're talking about. They've been abused by pastoral leadership, and they are trying with everything in, the, in their being to stay faithful to mm-hmm. this church. And what I would say is, as true as everything is, you just said is, it is going to be a slow process of you believing that. Like the, there is, again, there is truth that is bedrock for us, and then there's the actual pastoral um, lived out experience of what that truth is. Mm-hmm. And what I have seen is people who are coming out of deep, deep trauma and deep, deep wounds from pastoral leadership, it takes time, it takes slowness, and it takes intentionality to to restore that. Healing in this life, for whatever reason, God de- determines sometimes to go very fast mm-hmm. and sometimes to go very slow. And I think if there's people listening to this who are even pastors of that, you have to see it as a privilege to help them back because I'm helping them learn how to retrust a leader. Like in so many ways, that that's that's the the right and good godly weight leaders have is we get to be a flawed, broken, but a representation of what Jesus is like. And we get to kind of be the, hey, a bruised reed, he doesn't break, and a smoldering wick, he doesn't put out. And so I want people who are wrestling in that, if there's that deep trauma, they're going to want to run, they're going to want to pull back. And again, if they know that's going to happen, then that helps them go, okay, this is part of the normal healing process, right? But it's going to be really slow. But slow doesn't mean lifeless. Mm. But when you're choosing to put yourself under the leadership of somebody, um, in some ways you give them an opportunity to help you trust them. But if you never invite a leader in, you'll never be able to have a different way shown for you. So that'd be my encouragement is to look at the covenant love of God towards us and try and start taking steps of expressing that in a local place. And honestly, if because this is most this is for our church, if we can help anybody do that, we want to help people do that. Like this is not a again, for me and Holly and the other elders of this church, this is not a theoretical thing I'm describing. This is a real thing with real people uh, that we want to help steadily grow towards godliness. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and, and to tell you, there are people at our church who have gone through egregious, awful things. And I've seen God over years restore them to where they can trust the church again. And I think just, just to say that, like, yeah. God still works miraculous things. And I, I have people in mind right now who are faithfully serving and leading in this church who have been through some absolutely horrendous sin happen mm-hmm. done to them. And it's amazing to see Jesus somehow use those things for good that you never could have seen him possibly. You couldn't have foreseen, how could he use this for good? And then a decade later, you're seeing God use that very wound to help other people. Yeah, and it requires just a level of commitment towards God's church, obviously, that that's beyond you, you know. And again, connecting it back to um, how committed is God to his church even though he has all the reasons in the world to leave her. I just wanted to share a text where um, in Hosea 11, verse 7, God says, My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. He says, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? 
How can I treat you like Zeboam? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. And so he's describing a people that he says is bent on turning away from him, right? Constantly a people who are committing adultery against him, and yet his emotions are, how can I give you up? Mm. How can I hand you over? Right. And he calls the sin a sin. You know, he says, my heart recoils within me when he considers what his people are doing against him. His heart recoils within him. And at the same time, he says, my compassion grows warm and tender. He says, I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. He says, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst and I will not come in wrath. And so it's almost sounds like the opposite of what God would say, you know, because I am God and because you are people who are so bent on running away from me, I'm going to come in wrath. But he says, because I'm not man, I'm God, I'm not going to bring my wrath against you. It's just this heart of a father. It's just this heart of a faithful husband that's looking at his wife, that's that's a father that's looking at his child, no matter how much they're trying to walk away and run away. And it grieves him. His heart is recoiled, and he's, but he's still saying, but how am I going to give you up? Mm. You know, and my heart is still warm. It's still tender towards you, and I'm not going to come in wrath. And so if we have a God in heaven who has done that for us, right, no matter how many reason after reason after reason we've given him in our egregious sinning against him, his heart towards us is it recoils when he sees that sin in our lives. And yet at the same time, it remains warm and tender. And he says, but how am I going to give you up? I'm going to keep coming after you, not in wrath, but in love and in forgiveness and in grace. And so if we have a God who's done that for us, we're recipients of that. I think the most natural outflow and the response is we become a people like that, you mm. know, towards his people. And, and maybe one last thing on that is I do think it helps people who have been sinned against in those ways to know that justice will be done. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if God doesn't see that. And it's yeah. not as if he just overlooks it like it's no big deal. I mean, I think every person in the office on staff right now is reading Gentle and Lowly. I think I think that's kind of the the, <laughs> yeah. the book right now. I think that's that's yeah. the, the in twenty twenty everyone needs a book where Jesus is a kind shepherd and loves them. <laughs> but there is a chapter on Jesus is angrier than you mm-hmm. at the sin that's been done to you, mm-hmm. and you can trust him with your anger towards the things that have been done to you, and you can trust that that thing done to you will either be paid for by Jesus on the cross. Mm-hmm. Or will be paid for by that person in judgment, yeah. and that helps you to process through it to say, no, no, vengeance is a good and right thing, but it's the Lord's, it's not yours, and so you can trust Him. Say He will take vengeance on things done to me, and I don't have to take vengeance on the things done to me. He'll sort that out in the only way a perfect, good, righteous judge can. And I think that's been helpful too for people because, to be really honest, I've been a part of situations where we've we've attempted to take egregious sin of pastors at different churches and they've experienced and the justice system here hasn't done a great job. It hasn't mm-hmm. fallen, right. you know, done what we've wanted it to do. And you come to these places of impasse where you've done all the right reporting and all the right authorities involved and seemingly justice wasn't done. 
those are those moments where you have to hope in the fact that like the psalmist always does, that the Lord is going to come and judge and make right all that has been wrong. And that gives hope in the midst of anger and frustration to give that to God, not as if he's just passing over these things like they're no big deal. It's It really is the preciousness of Jesus' blood takes a different level when you realize that can pay for every possible sin done to me. That's how powerful his blood is, but also how real the judgment is because judgment was going to fall on Jesus or on the person who committed it. So I think people have gone through that. I think there's the anger justice piece that I I want you to know how to process and not just be, what do I do with all the anger? What do I do with all the frustration? You really can trust God to say he will not let one sin, he will not let one sin go unnoticed Mm. or go unpunished. Well, it gives us so much freedom to forgive because if it's a fellow believer that wronged us, right, then what we're saying is we're looking at the cross and saying that sin was a sin Mm -hmm. against me, yet it has been dealt with. And when Jesus said it is finished, what we're saying is the judge of all the earth, more just than me, looked at it and said, debt paid in full. That sin is paid for. I am satisfied with the payment for that sin. And so when we refuse to forgive a believer, we're actually saying something about the cross. We're looking at the cross and saying, no, debt not paid in full. The judge of all the earth, he may be satisfied, but I'm not. There needs to be more consequence, more payment made for that sin. And so not forgiving a believer is really a serious thing you're saying about the cross. We have to realize that. And then like Tyler's saying, if it's an unbeliever you're dealing with and they remain unbelieving, we know the truth of the scriptures that vengeance is his and he will repay. There is a place called hell that they're going to be paying for that sin forever in hell. And so if that's the case, what do we do? We weep for them while we can. There's coming a day where they're going to have to pay for that sin forever. And so we weep for them while while we can, and we pray for their salvation. When you've been a victim, you have to know how to interpret what God's doing with the ways you've been victimized. Mm -hmm. It seems like one of those doctrines that's unessential until you've been victimized by somebody. And then it's, then you have to go, what is God doing? What, what does he, does he see me? Again, that's where the central statement of the gospel is judgment is coming and Jesus has taken it on himself. But if there is no judgment, then how do you make sense of what God's doing in this in this world and in this life? And so I know it's not normally a doctrine we would talk about when it comes to being hurt by the church, but it really is one of those fundamental realities as far as the sin, the nature of sin, and Jesus' kindness to it. Now, I think, again, that's where Jesus is a very kind shepherd to walk alongside of us and help us slowly believe the things that are true. So again, just for people who hear that and they're just wrestling with all the emotions it brings up in them, Jesus is a very kind, gentle leader Mm. who walks alongside of us in all of our fits and struggles and fears. Come on. One, One way that I was able to heal from church hurt, and it seems funny because it's church hurt, but I think God used the church to help heal me from church hurt. Yeah. And I've heard that story from so, so, so many people. Um, and I know many people who are maybe listening to this podcast, man, I hope that you've been encouraged by this. And I hope that that you can see that um, 
that that God is working out um, something so beautiful and that he is for you, that he is uh, using this season to deepen your faith and just deepen your trust in him. For, for the people listening who are maybe a part of our college ministry or just a Christian that belongs to a local church, what's the best way to be the church and love someone who's been hurt by the church? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it just, again, goes back to being a people that's in God's Word and being instructed by God's Word. I don't think we have the capacity to, in and of ourselves, think of things that we can just do to help people heal. First of all, it's acknowledging that that healing ultimately comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Mm -hmm. the first and the greatest thing all throughout thing that we can be doing for somebody that we particularly know that's been hurt is to pray for them, you know, and it's not just some spiritual answer. Tangibly speaking, the best thing that we could do for them is to be praying for them, that God himself would use us as his body, right, mm-hmm. to be to be the words that, uh, to bring the words that they need to hear, that we would bring the comfort that they would need to receive. And so I think about it this way sometimes that we know that God provides everything, right? And he ultimately gets it to you through people, you know? And so God knows exactly what you need, Christian, that's been hurt. Um, He knows what you need to hear. He knows what you need to feel. He knows what needs to be done for you. All those things. And the way that he's going to provide it for you, do that for you, is not just some incantation, poof, it's done. But he does it through his people, Mm. you know? And so, you know, the text that talks about when you see somebody hungry, don't close your heart against them because you know what it's like to be hungry, Mm. right? And so when you see somebody hurt, don't close your heart against them because you know what it's like to be hurt and put yourself in that situation and ask yourself, if I was hurt like that, what would I need to hear, right? What would, what would I want to hear from God? Say that word, right? If I were to experience that from somebody, how can I be comforted? How would God want for me to be comforted? We'll provide that kind of comfort for that person. And so not hiding yourself. We're all in the flesh for a reason, right? We all have feelings for a reason. We could imagine what it would be like to go through such hurt, such circumstances. And at the same time, we could imagine what could comfort us and ease that kind of pain. And ultimately, God does that, but he always works through his people. And so be that person that God uses to bring to bring healing. And I, mean, I think to that point, Here's, I'll just give a couple of just practical things I think they should do. First thing is ask good questions. If someone's hurt, ask good questions. Ask good questions and listen. Don't assume you know everything that's going on. So ask good questions. Second, mourn with those who mourn. Weep with those who weep, right? If you ask good questions, they're going to share hard things. You don't have to be the fixer of those things. You can just weep with them and, and relate to them. The third thing is be honest about the church, but don't vilify the church, one of the mistakes you can make is you so want to resonate with people that you want to different, and I've been guilty of this, 
you want to act like you're this, I'm one of the good Christians and those are the bad Christians. That church is so terrible and so awful. And I'm telling you that will resonate in the moment because they're hurt by the church. But what you're teaching also is the church can't be trusted, but that's the goal. The goal is to get them to a place where they can come back to Jesus and his church. But if I so vilify the church, I'm tearing down the very bridge I'm trying to create. Now, now don't overlook the church's failings. And like Colm said, there are churches out there that are absolutely dysfunctional, and Jesus should take away their lampstand, and they should be done. So I don't want to act like every church is the same in this regard either. But also, don't so differentiate yourself from other people as if you've never failed anybody, as if you've never hurt anybody, because you're, again, you're tearing on the very bridge you're trying to create. And then the fourth thing is actually model for them a different way. Mm-hmm. Model for them. Because most of the time, you can give all the theological arguments and all the Bible verses. What people need is someone to model for them a different way. And I think, to be really honest, a lot of people who are leaving the church can't imagine a way forward because they haven't seen a way forward. There's a reason Jesus incarnates himself because he wants to give us a way. There's something about seeing things in action that help you realize there is a way forward that's hopeful and God can be with me. And so if you're going to deal with someone as church hurt, invite them to your group because what I get worried about is I want to help someone with church hurt, but I'm not serving in the church. I'm not in the community, and I want to critique the church with you. I'm like, well, you're not a helpful guide back. Cause, and, and what I don't want us to be is a blind leading the blind here where we're just going to commiserate together in perpetuity, but that's not going to lead to the things that you want most. You want healing. You want joy. You want love. You want meaning. You want all the things that Jesus provides, but like Holm said, he provides them through his people. So I think that that's just ask good questions, relate to them mourn with them. Don't vilify, be honest about the church. Don't vilify the church. Um, and then show them a way back through your own life. Because again, the best way to do it is say, come have dinner with me and my group of Christian friends. Because I think to the way back to the church is through Christian friendships. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's coming, sitting under teaching again. It's all the small steps, but I, I want us to be people who build a bridge, but also have a way back, o- back over it instead of just building a bridge over to relate to you. And Mitchell, it's like you said, you know, you were hurt by the church, but God provided the healing for that hurt through his church once mm-hmm. again. And I think the lie that we could believe is to think that healing is somewhere else or that we could be part of a community that's out there where no one ever wrongs me. You know, No, people are going to wrong you. The only difference is that there is a community out there that might wrong you, but also provides healing through mm-hmm. that hurt. You know, And it's only the church where you could find that. So yeah, I think that's a that's a good way to put it that the church might be the place where your significant hurts are found. And yet at the same time, like we hear about David, his sins were notorious, but his repentance was always more notorious than his sins. The hurt that you might find in the church might be notorious, but hopefully the story is the healing that you found in the church is always more notorious. Hmm. Man, that was so good for my soul. I really hope that uh, the people listening, man, just rewind that back. That's just so good what y'all close out with, just those practical ways to think about it and how to help our friends who are dealing with church hurt. Halim, thank you so much for coming yeah, thanks um, for me. and hanging out with us, yeah. man. I know there's a bunch of things you could have been doing. You preached yesterday, and so I know you could be taking a good uh, nap this morning, but thanks for hanging with us. Yeah. I would love it. Uh, this is something we, we actually— don't usually do uh, to close out the green room. But holla, man, I would love it if you would pray for the people listening and their friends who have experienced church hurt and specifically 
praying for those people who are struggling to find a way to get back into community. Yeah. So, Father, we continue to pray um, what we prayed right before, Lord, that you have in mind the people that are hurting right now, Lord. You are near to the brokenhearted. And so we pray that just in a supernatural, tangible way, Father, for those who are listening to this podcast that have been hurt, Lord, that you would help them to feel your nearness. Father, that you would help them to realize that all the pains and the hurts that they've experienced, Lord, from your people, that you know those pains, that you yourself have wrestled with the pains caused by us, your people, against you, mm -hmm. as we constantly are bent towards walking and running away from you, Lord, and yet you refuse to let us go. And so, Father, I pray that that heart that you have for your people, that you would restore once again and the people that have been hurt, Lord, that you would restore their heart for your church, that the hope that you have for your church, the price that you paid for your church, Lord, would be seen as precious. And Lord, just like we concluded, Lord, that the hurt that they've experienced from your church, that they would find the healing for that hurt inside your church, Lord, and see her as glorious as she will be one day in glory. Father, we love you. We thank you for the church. We thank you for calling us into your church, Lord. We pray that you would lead us step by step faithfully through this life, through all the pain, through all the hurt, knowing that you are even using the hurt and the pain to draw us closer to you, to grow us in our love for you and your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being our guest in the green room. Remember, if you want more vulnerable conversations, then share, like, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at college underscore Austin Stone. See you next time.